Amen. Praise the Lord. Pastor Kelly uh, mentioned we had an eventful morning this morning. I don't. I think that might be an understatement. We just about got to Salem, and uh, we went off the interstate and left our car in the median and got a ride in the back of a cop car to church to make it on time. <laughs> um, but, you know, when things like that happen, it just kind of reveals how even when things are going wrong, God is orchestrating everything. We ended up in the, we, it was mile marker 106 and a half, but what we were told. We ended up there, and apparently that is where there was a big wreck recently with like seven uh, semis and a pileup, and I don't know what, but it just happened to be that the last wreck that was there left a bunch of mud in the median, and it just so happened that the mud that was in the median stopped our car. Otherwise, I think we probably would have been in oncoming traffic, and it probably would have been a lot worse, but God kept his hand on us and kept us safe, and I'm thankful for that. And we were sitting there, and uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. I was trying to call uh, Brother Kyle and trying to figure out who could tow us out, and I didn't think we were going to make it for Sunday school. And then I saw some red and blue lights pop up behind the car, and this police officer was walking toward the car. He said, are you okay? And I said, I said yes, and let him know the, what we were supposed to be doing this morning. And he said, well, I'm about to go. To, I'm on my way back to Salem. I'll just give you a ride. He said, what church do you go to? And I said, the Apostolic Church. And he said, oh, my parents go there. And I said, no way. So it just turns out that it was Brother and Sister Cripps' son that pulled up behind us while we were sitting in the median. And I told him he should have put us in handcuffs and dropped us off like that. Um, make people wonder what exactly happened. But anyway, um, God's good. He kept his hand on us. I'm thankful for that. And the rest can be fixed. Um, I want to give honor to Brother Kelly, pastor, who I don't think is uh, here today. I know he's been preaching in Mississippi, and I've seen really good reports, so I'm thankful for that and give honor to God. Uh, this week, we're going to talk, we're starting, uh, like the video said, a new section, a new series uh, on living unselfishly, and I like this topic because this is at the core of what it means to be a disciple. This is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. And it's important. It's something that can easily be ignored in terms of talking about doctrine or talking about what do I have to do to be saved, uh, checking the boxes, that kind of thing. It's something that can easily be looked over, um, but it shouldn't be. Um, our scripture focus today, and you don't have to stand, um, we, we, I recognize, we recognize we're honoring the word um, scripture focuses Philippians 2 and 5 through 8, and it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Christ was obedient even to the point that he took up his cross for everybody else's benefit. And we find in Scripture a story um, where Jesus, as if coming to earth and flesh was not humbling himself enough, 
uh, he, he partakes in an act of humility, and it was when he was washing his disciples' feet. And it's a, he, he knew the time was short. In fact, in just a few days, the disciples would be scattered, and Jesus would be hanging on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, dying to save humanity from their sins. But for that night, while gathered with a ragtag group of misfits, Jesus thought of, taught a powerful lesson. It became a lesson the apostles would preach and teach for years to come. It was the last supper Jesus would eat with the twelve who had followed him for the past three years. It was not just any supper. It was the feast of Passover, which each of the four gospel writers attempted to predict. However, it was only John that recorded the moment of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Grabbing a wash basin and towel, Jesus began washing the feet of the twelve one by one. No doubt an awkward silence filled the room, kind of like the awkward silence that fills the sanctuary when we start talking about washing each other's feet. Don't worry, I don't think we're doing that today. As he went to each of his followers in, the, in this unusual act of servanthood, stooping down to wash the dusty grime of the streets of Jerusalem from their feet, Jesus revealed the true nature of humility. And even, the, even though these disciples were unaware of the significance of this moment, even Peter tried to stop his master from washing his feet. Jesus continued until each foot had been cleansed. Jesus fully understood that in just a few short hours, each of his followers would in one way or another abandon him during the hour of his greatest need. Still, Jesus continued. At first, the disciples were uncertain as to Jesus' intent. They were so caught up in the events of recent days that they mistook this act of servanthood as being somewhat of an insult to their intelligence. As Jesus approached Peter... The obstinate disciple drew back quickly and declared he would never allow Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus replied, Jesus' reply shocked Peter, as well as the other disciples. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter swiftly recanted, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Although at this time they did not understand the reason Jesus humbled himself, he did tell them that after his death, they would come to a full understanding of why he was doing what he was doing. By humbling himself and washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus taught a lesson to not only his disciples, but also to us. We must recognize how vital it is to fulfill the role of a servant and humble ourselves as Jesus portrayed in John 13. It is not enough for us to profess we are Christians. We must also show the world and each other the impact Jesus is making in our lives. So one of the questions that's in the book says, it's talking about if you think that people pay more attention. It says, do humans have the tendency to put more emphasis on what people do as opposed to what people say, why or why not? And you might have your own opinion about that, and, and that's fine. Um, but it, it brought to mind something that my dad has kind of told me over and over again, one of those pound into your heads kind of things. Um, over the course of my life, and that is that people don't remember what you say to them, but they remember how you made them feel. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus never made anybody feel like they were worthless. He drew a line between what was supposed to happen while he was here and what was supposed to happen after the cross. We see that with the lady that came to him and he said, that it's not fit for the dogs to have the meat, that it's supposed to go to the children. 
But still, even she had an important place in his ministry. And even, excuse me, even she was a recipient of his love, even though she wasn't supposed to receive it before the cross. And in our, our focus scripture, it talks about having the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ means the ability to see life from the same perspective as Jesus sees it. And in this discourse that Paul begins with the importance of having the mind of Christ, we, we see that it's not just enough to profess that we're Jesus' disciples. It has to be reflected in our lives. It has to be reflected in our lifestyle. Even when Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, what did he say? If you have love one toward another. Well, people don't know that you have love one toward another just because you say it. You know, they, have, they realize that you have love one toward another because of how you treat one another, because of how you make one another feel. And if we want our lifestyle to match up with the masters, with Jesus's, we need to view things from his perspective. We've got to stop viewing things from how it looks to us sometimes because it, it reminded me of an, an older song uh, from heaven's point of view. Things look much different from heaven's point of view. When you see the big picture, we've been talking about the big picture in our lessons. The big, what is this big master plan that God has from creation even until the cross, even until when he comes back for us? There's this master plan. There's this big plan. And that can be lost when all you can see is just a portion of it that's in front of you from a different angle. But we have to see things from Jesus' perspective. And one way we can begin to do that is to examine his intent of how he lived his life. What was his intent? What was his goal? What was his motivation? And Scripture says, though possessing full deity, Christ did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto. That was a uh, paraphrase there. But he didn't feel like it would be bad for him to lower himself down to where we are, to get down on our level. He could have remained God. But how could God, in, his, in all of his wonder and in heaven and as a spirit, how could he have become our sacrifice that understands our pain, that understands our temptation? It says that he was tempted in all ways like we were, but the difference is that he overcame. He overcame all of his temptation. And how could he have done that if he didn't come down to our level? But there was an intent behind it. There was a reason that he did that. And having the mind of Christ means possessing the same attitude that Jesus had in at least three distinct areas. And if we look at his attitude in this way, we will start to, to, to understand his intent that, he, that was leading his life. And the first area is humility. And the second area is compassion for the lost. And the third is total dependence on God. And we're going to walk through all three of these, but the first one is humility. And we see Jesus' humility when he washes the feet of his disciples. And we see Jesus' humility when he humbled himself to come down in flesh. And through that, I mean, it was an act of humility that he robed himself in flesh. Without humility, there wouldn't have even been a sacrifice. There wouldn't have even been a way for us to come to God. There would have been no access for Gentiles. There would have been no complete remission of sins 
And that just shows the importance in the kingdom of God that humility holds. And the, one of the questions says, what is your definition of humility? I won't ask you that, but it's something to consider as we, as we move forward in the lesson. The, the second point in trying to find the attitude of Christ is his compassion for the lost. And it was his compassion for the lost that fueled his intent. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to... His purpose was not to receive praise in the form of humanity. I mean, he deserved that, but he didn't come down... He came to seek and to save that which was lost. His, his purpose was for us. It was to draw us to him. And here we're introduced to the mission of Jesus Christ. His compassion for the lost was the central focus of his ministry. He fulfilled the most unselfish, humble act of all time. He laid down his life for others, for us. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And the third point is total dependence upon God. The third way we can possess the same attitude Jesus had was in having the mind of Christ is to have total dependence on God. Jesus did not do anything in his ministry without first receiving the instructions from the Father. We can see that in Scripture. He came to do the Father's will. He didn't act on emotions. He didn't act on feelings. He didn't act on what he thought was what needed to be done. He acted on what God told him to do. And that's how we have to live our lives. We can only fulfill the mission of Christ through total dependence upon God. And just as kind of a side story, my, my wife and I, and I've gotten some weird looks when I've, I've told people about this, but my wife and I have two guinea pigs at home. Those are our pets. We wanted a cat, and our landlord said no. And we wanted a dog, and he said, well, it would depend on the kind of dog. I'd have to think about it. So I said, okay, well, what about a guinea pig? And he said, well, a guinea pig would be fine. So we ended up with two guinea pigs. But, and their names are Petunia and Buttercup. Um, but our guinea pigs, just to kind of put it in, you know, a, a, a frame to think about this, our guinea pigs are totally dependent on us. Our guinea pigs can't feed themselves. Our guinea pigs can't change their cage. Our guinea pigs can't even get out of their cage without our help. They're totally dependent on us. But do you know, when we start making it, when we open the fridge, or when we turn on the, the water in the sink, or when we start cutting onions for our meal, our guinea pigs start making noise because they know that those sounds mean food, food is coming. So out of their dependence... They're listening with expectation on something to come. They're listening with expectation, what are they going to feed me today? When's my food going to come? That's what total dependence does. If we're totally dependent on God, when we come to service, we're not going to come dragging in and thinking, you know, well, it's another Sunday, I have to be here. It's another Sunday, I left my car in the median on Interstate 57. No, no. We come with an expectation. We come listening to the voice of the Father. What's he going to feed me today? What am I going to get today? I need this to survive. I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent on him. That's what total dependence does. 
And that's how we get led down the straight and narrow path. Part of the, the bit, when we talk about the big picture of living unselfishly, a, a, a major aspect of it is serving others. And servants think of others before thinking of themselves. That's one of the, the fill-in-the-blanks there. Servants think of others before thinking of themselves. And we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? For, for everything that we, we undertake, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for my benefit? Or am I doing this for somebody else? Am I thinking about myself first? Am I thinking about, well, if I, if I go to the homeless shelter, you know, I'm going to be helping people out. It may, it may benefit somebody else, but I'll make sure I post it on Facebook so everybody sees that I'm doing this good deed and I make myself look better. You see the difference there? It's, it's, what's, the, what's the intent behind it? Are you trying to progress yourself or are you trying to build others up? That's what we have to ask ourselves. When we're about to do something, even when it's a good deed, we really have to examine what our intent behind it is. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Servants lower themselves to lift others up. Scripture says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Never thought you'd see the words law and Christ in one sentence before, did you? Um, you know, sometimes... You know, we're all living different lives, and we're all in different stages of our different lives, and we're all in different seasons of our different lives. Ever under everything, there is a season, but what's my season, what my season right now is may not be what Sister Sherry's season is. I may be in a season where everything's going great, and Sister Sherry may be in a season where she's just happy to be here on Sunday morning. I don't know if that's the case, but just as an example, you know, we're not all in the same place at the same time, but... Scripture says, it doesn't say bear one another's burdens when you both have a burden. It doesn't say bear one another's burdens when you're both feeling bad. Sometimes we have to come down off of our mountaintop and come down to the level of our brothers and sisters to help them pick their burden up, to help them bear their burden. And you say, well, we all have our cross to bear. That's true. That's absolutely true. And Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross... You know, you're not worthy of him. But Jesus also had a cross to bear. He had a cross to carry to Mount Calvary. And actually, he didn't carry it by himself. He had help. There came a point where a man of Simon, uh, named Simon of Cyrene came and helped Jesus carry his cross. And if someone helped Jesus carry his cross, which... We all know none of us could have borne that cross because none of us is perfect. It had to be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. But if Jesus had somebody help him, surely we can help one another in carrying our crosses. And surely it's okay to say, you know what? My cross is really heavy, and I'm barely dragging my cross through the valley right now. I could really use my brother or my sister to come help me carry this cross, help me get through this time. We've got to quit looking from up on the top of our mountain down on people that are in the valley. And that's easy to do. It's easy to judge people when we don't know what they're going through. It's easy to judge people when they make mistakes in their hard times. 
But instead of looking down on them from our mountaintop, we need to go down and help them carry their cross to the top of their mountain. Servants recognize the importance of furthering the cause of another. You know, I need to recognize how important it is to the kingdom that I invest in others. I need to recognize that Brother Blake has a particular purpose in the kingdom. He has a particular ministry. And not only does he have a particular purpose in a ministry, but it's important to the kingdom that I invest in him. And not only my brothers and sisters, but also that I invest in the lost. Do you know that doing, giving Bible studies is investing in the lost? That's investing seed into the ground that, that God can come and water and that God can grow something fruitful out of. That I need to invest in the new converts. I need to invest in the old converts. I need to invest in my brothers and sisters. And that servants recognize the importance of doing that. Servants are willing to lay down their lives for others. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And one of the questions in the booklet says, it asks, how can we follow the pattern of Jesus, this, the pattern of Jesus in sacrificing himself? And I don't know that it requires us to go die on Golgotha. I don't think that that's how you have to follow the pattern of Jesus. But I do think that it does require giving of ourselves. And Jesus said, he said, if you keep your life, you're going to lose it. One that keeps his life will lose it, but one that gives up his life for my sake will find it. Well, what does that mean? That doesn't mean necessarily giving up, you know, your breath, giving up your life, that you have to literally die on that day. But, and it might even be harder. It means giving up your desires. It means giving up dreams that don't necessarily match up with what God intends. It means going on a missions trip to somewhere that has two hours of sunlight and below zero temperatures for six months out of the year. I don't know. It, it's, not, it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. But we have to give up our idea of what we think life should be, what our flesh thinks life should be, and then find life in Jesus. If we give up our life, we'll find it. Servanthood is the attitude God desires of his children in order to fulfill his purpose upon the earth. And um, just think about it. What, what do you think his purpose is on the earth right now? I would, I would submit to you that his purpose on the earth now is the same as his purpose was when he came in the flesh, and it's to seek and to save that which was lost. It's going from the 99 to pull the one into the herd. It's... It's reaching out to lost souls. Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33. And there are three distinct ways in which we can seek the kingdom of God through our service. By being servants, this is the first one, by being servants we give glory to God. That's one of the blanks. By being servants we give glory to God. Giving glory to God is not just our worship on Sunday morning. It's not just our, our, our audible praise. It's not, it's not only restricted to that, but we give glory to God even when we're just obedient to him. Even when we just wake up and we say, you know what, I'm taking this one day at a time. I can't do anything about 
two weeks from now. I don't know if I can even make it through today, but I'm going to do my best to be obedient. That in itself gives glory to God because there was a time when, we, when man could not live for God like we can live for God now. And the fact that you wake up and you live a Holy Ghost-filled life gives glory to God. That's a testimony to what God has done for his people. John 13, 31 through 32 says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. The second point is that by being servants, we identify with our master and seek to fulfill the purpose he came to fulfill by helping to seek and save the lost. You know, sometimes we think that if we, and I'm guilty of this also, we think if we just pray about it that God's just going to fix it. We know the scripture that says, except a man be drawn, that he can't come to God. And sometimes it's easy to just throw it off on that scripture. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, God, you're the only one that can take care of this person's heart. This person's heart is so hardened, it's harder than Pharaoh's heart. There's no way I'm ever going to reach him. There's no way I can do anything. I've said this scripture a hundred times to this person. I just can't get through. It's only going to take God to be able to do it. That's true. But also, we're the body of Christ. We're the people on the ground, so to speak. We're the people that that have to reach for these people, that have to show them love, even if they don't want to hear about the scripture, even if they don't want to come to church. You know, there, there are other forms of ministry. We can serve them. You know, if it's an elderly person, we can go mow their yard. You know, there, there's all kinds of ways that we can serve people and that we can show the love of Christ, even when they don't necessarily want to be receptive to the message. By being servants, we follow the pattern Jesus set forth by being obedient and humbling ourselves obedient and humbling ourselves. Again, our scripture focus says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but set himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. We can't miss this connection between obedience and humility and service. There's a connection there. There's a connection between obedience and humility and service. Any act of obedience, even if it's, you know, just following the Ten Commandments, any act of obedience will, by necessity, in some way, be an act of love. And what do I mean by that? Well, Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, that all the law and the prophets hang on to two things. There's, there's two precepts that all of the law and the prophets hang on, and that is that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and that you'll love your neighbor as yourself. The, the, that, those two scriptures, those two commandments, encapsulate everything else. The rest, the rest of the law is just telling us how to accomplish those two things. So that means that any act of obedience is an act of love. Those who will be great must first learn to serve. Matthew 20, 26, and 28 says, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and give his life a ransom for many. 
I was thinking about, and this is just kind of how my mind works when I'm, when I'm studying for these things, but I was thinking about, you know, in this talk about a servant and stuff, and talking about lowering yourself, and if you want to be great, then you have to make yourself the lowest to be the greatest. I was, there was a, a video that some of my friends in the a church in Germany that we attended showed me. Um, somebody had mentioned something about having a servant's heart, and they said, well, you know, when somebody tells you you have a servant's heart, really that just means the only thing you're good at is stacking chairs. And they want you to stack chairs, so they tell you you have a servant's heart to make you feel better about it. But, and then I would show up for church, and somebody would come and tell me, you just have a servant's heart, and I'd know they want me to go stack chairs. Um, but, you know, that's the way we think about it sometimes. Sometimes we think about, man, I'm really doing damage to myself by making myself humble. And that's, that's the response in our flesh. Our flesh does not like humility. Our flesh likes pride. There's pride of the flesh. And our flesh is constantly trying to not only build itself up, but cause us to think, man, I need to build myself up. I need to make myself better. I need to make myself great in this world. I really need that promotion. But do you really need that promotion? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you really, what, what are you accomplishing with that? Are you building yourself up or are you serving others? Likewise, those who will be exalted must humble themselves. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. Matthew 23, 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Do you see the, the juxtaposition, that the, the, these opposites that we're picking out here between humility and service and pride, selfishness, and destruction? You know, on the one side, when we talk about humility and service, it's all positive stuff that we've been talking about. I'm, I'm building up my brothers and sisters. I'm going to be exalted because I have made myself abased. This is all, these are all positive things, but then when we, we look at the opposite side, the pride, the selfishness, uh, doing things for self-gain, for vainglory, it ends in destruction. So there's, there's, there's a way to life, and there's a way to destruction. And if we want to follow God, then we have to be willing to serve. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is talking about when he will separate those that will enter the kingdom from those that will spend eternity in hell. And he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will, if my paper will come up, of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In Matthew 25, it, it, the, the scripture again talks about the separating from those that, that will enter the kingdom and those that won't. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. By the way, this is another example. The, the oneness of God and the fact that Jesus Christ is God pops up all over scripture. But if, if, if we look really closely, it says, Then the king shall say, Come, ye blessed of my Father. That means the Son is the King. That means that Jesus is not just the Prince. He's also the King. He's also God. 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on to say, You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You took me in when I was a stranger. You put clothes on my back when I was naked. And I'm paraphrasing. You came and visited me when I was sick and when I was in prison. Then the right, shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we do any of that? When did all this happen? And he'll respond, even when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So don't ever think that by serving other people, you're redirecting your service from God. When you serve other people, you're serving God. Even the lowest of the lows, even the person that nobody wants anything to do with, when you serve them, you're serving Jesus. And the flip side of that is when you don't serve them, you're refusing to serve Jesus. I doubt that anybody in this room, if somebody, if, if, if we were driving on the interstate and, and somebody didn't know how to drive in the snow like me, and they were on the side of the road, if we knew it was Jesus, we'd probably stop. If we knew that was the master sitting in that car right there in the flesh, we would stop and we'd give him a ride. But when it's somebody with a super outdated car that is really having a rough time, and we're like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to help that person. It might be a risk, and it is a risk nowadays. And I'm not saying you should take unnecessary risks, but do you, do you see? We've got to stop looking at people as, as just people. We've got to stop, start looking at people as children of God and, an, and a way that we can serve God. If we serve other people, we thereby serve God. <clears throat> And if you look at this particular scripture, when he's talking about, you didn't feed me, you didn't visit me, you didn't do any of these things, it wasn't that these people didn't repent. It wasn't that these people weren't baptized in the name of Jesus. It wasn't that these people didn't have the Holy Ghost. In fact, we see where there are people that are going to prophesy, and they're still not going to make it. The, those weren't the deciding factors. Now, I think all, the, all of those factors are essential to even get you to this point, to even be considered. But what was the deciding factor? It was how these people did or did not serve others. That's how important it is. It's important to have a servant's heart and stack chairs. So the, the, uh, the lesson ends with uh, a story about the Titanic and I wanted to read that because I, I think it brings out a very important point. And it says, The tragic end of the doomed sea vessel Titanic is one of the most horrific events in history. It's world-renowned. Yet it reveals something important this lesson also portrays. According to survivors' accounts, the Women and Children First convention was observed with almost no dissension, particularly among the upper classes. The statistics make it plain. In the first class, every child was saved, as were all but five of 144 women, three of whom chose to die with their husbands. By contrast, 70% of the men perished in first class. In second class, 80% of the women were saved, and 90% of the men drowned. The men on the first class list of the Titanic virtually made up the Forbes 400 of the time, so they were the big shots. John Jacob Astor, every time I read that, I think John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. John Jacob Astor 
reputedly the richest man of his day, is said to have fought his way to, the, to a boat to put his wife on it and then stepped back and waved her goodbye. Benjamin Guggenheim similarly refused to take a seat, saying, Tell my wife I played the game out straight and to the end. No woman shall be left aboard this ship because Ben Guggenheim was a coward. In other words, some of the most powerful men in the world adhered to an unwritten code of honor, even though it meant certain death for them. What a powerful lesson in how we must also give our lives for others. The kingdom of God requires that each of us endeavor to submit to the ways of Jesus and become what he desires of us in order to impact our world. By taking on the role of a servant and humbling ourselves, others will see the image of Christ that is being formed in us on a daily basis. Let's search our hearts and ask God to help us in taking on this necessity attitude, necessary attitude that Jesus so well exampled for us. And I would say this in closing, and I gave you all a little bit more time. That's because my adrenaline's still pumping from, from the car accident. Um, I don't think that it's possible for us to be willing to give up our life for somebody else if we don't love them. I think love is absolutely necessary for us to come to that point. We know we have to get to that point, but I don't think you can get to that point without love. And I think that's why Scripture says, if a man says he loves God, but he hates his neighbor, he's a liar. If he, hates, if he says he loves God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. I don't think it's, it's, it's possible to have the love of God in us without also having love for our brothers and sisters. And I don't think that we can get to that point that Jesus was without having love. So, thank you.